Our sponsor for the podcast, Ahrefs, has an awesome set of tools that have become an industry standard for just about every SEO out there. For instance, if you're not getting any real significant search traffic, Ahrefs has tools that can help you find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see the estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their keyword explorer tool, and that can help you create content that would drive more search traffic. Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. Welcome to the Search Engine Journal Show. Thank you for joining us. It's time for another installment of our ongoing series, Better Know and SEO Pro. And one person in SEO you better know about is Miranda Miller. Miranda is a digital and content marketing consultant and strategist for small to mid-sized businesses. And you can find more information about her at Miranda uh, Miller.com. Uh, she has been in the industry for 15 years. Uh, she's a prolific business and marketing ghostwriter and experienced SEO practitioner. Uh, some of her clients have included WordStream, Vision Interactive, and the Buyer Group. Uh, in the past, she has been the lead news writer for Search Engine Watch, my old stomping grounds. And she's also an editor for a while over at ClickZ. Uh, Miranda is currently a contributor for Search Engine Journal. Uh, she won the Travel Weekly Silver Magellan Award for Best Cruise Industry Blog for her client, Quark Expeditions. And you can find her on Twitter at Miranda L.M. Writes. That's W-R-I-T-E-S on Twitter again. So, yeah, she's also one of my oldest uh, industry friends, one of my favorite people in the industry and the world. Miranda Miller, welcome to the Search Engine <laughs> Journal Show. Thank you so much, Danny. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yep. Yeah, it's been a while since we've chatted, so this will be fun. Um, and of course, you know, what better time to do it than during a, a self-isolation period for both of us, uh, which is actually nothing new <laughs> for the two of us since we've been doing that for how many years now have you been uh, working remotely? Um, I've been working remote. I have at times gone in-house with different groups, but it's been 15 years. So wow. I feel like we are the most practiced hermits on the planet. Seriously, yep. Yep, I've been doing it since, oh, I think 2005. So I don't know what the math is on that right off the top. <laughs> yes, I've read about like the 15, same time. Right? Yep. Yeah, 15 years, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so we're pros um, at it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and obviously everyone's, uh, you know, thinking about coronavirus and working from home. Um, you know, a lot of the people in our industry obviously have been working from home, but for some people it's, uh, you know, pretty new where it's like you can't even get out, um, you know, because restaurants are closing and so much is closing. But anyway, you all know that already. Uh, and obviously things are developing. Um, but so we thought it'd be good to sort of talk about uh, remote working uh, to kick us off today. Um, and I'm actually surprised that it's not done more often. You know, it feels like some agencies and companies are really stuck in the 80s. You know, you must be in a cubicle for eight hours a day and attend a 
bunch of pointless meetings in person and you know it's like you have to do busy work to justify your paycheck and it's just crazy because you know with search engine journal we're 100 percent remote and we've been doing great for a long time so yeah it's just kind of crazy to me that this is new i you know i've been living it so long and obviously you have as well so um, and I guess that's actually more of a rant than a question, but, um, <laughs> you know, do you sort of see this as like a, maybe a waking up of businesses who can, you know, cause there's so many benefits of working virtually, you know, I think of, you know, you can attract the talent, you know, maybe if they're not in your state, but there's one really good, you know, um, I think so many companies just get blinded by this whole, you must work in an office for 40 hours. Um, is there any way you think, I don't know if Corona will change that, or do you think that you see that shifting at all anytime soon? Um, I would say more than shifting, it's an, it's an avalanche right now. And okay. it's, it is scary for those companies who have never even imagined that they could go remote. Um, and that's where I think SEOs and those of us who own online businesses, and we've been in this space for a while, really have something valuable to offer right now because there is so much uncertainty. And I don't think that this is going away in two weeks. I think right. at least for the next several months, this is going to be the new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are having to learn how to, you know, it's, it's not only about the technology of how can I get online, how can I physically be in a video meeting, but if you are expected to manage a team now where everyone is remote, um, how do you keep morale and productivity high? Mm-hmm. Um, how can you make sure that your data is secure? Uh, how do you make sure that you have a workflow that still works for everyone? So these are the things that people are trying to figure out right now. And I feel like um, especially in the SEO community, we are uniquely positioned to help guide some of those processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess for people, um, you know, if this may be new to them, the working remotely, um, what do you think are some of the big adjustments uh, that people who are used to going into an office will have to make over the next, you know, couple weeks or even longer? I think one of the hugest impacts that we're going to see, and I think it's going to happen quickly, and I think it's going to last a long time, is the impact on people's mental health. Mm. Um, So I think that loneliness and isolation are going to be really difficult for some people. Um, You know, in Canada, they're talking about income support for people who can't physically go to their job anymore. But then what do do those people do with their time? Um, So that... I think is going to be very impactful. And um, I've been working on this project, Get Remote Ready, um, and have quite a few, you know, industry ex- experts involved now who are jumping in to try and offer services, whether it's regular price or deeply discounted, or even some are offering free consultations to help people work through a very specific problem that they're having. So we're having people realizing, you know, I have no web presence. And all of a sudden, I have a product that maybe could be sold online, but, you know, maybe the retail store always did okay and getting online wasn't a priority. And now it is like their top priority, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or even someone who, a restaurant that that could be doing pickup only right now, but they need to have a mobile payment solution and that never occurred to them before. Um, Or helping someone who is used to going into that that office from nine till five and now all of a sudden they're working from home and they are having trouble getting motivated. Maybe their workspace is like the corner of the living room and there's kids and a dog running around. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that, that people need some guidance through right now. And we're trying to do that through one hour consulting calls or coaching calls, or even just brainstorming. Like, what is this going to look like for you? 
What assets do you have right now? What tools are available that you might not know about? And how can we get people set up with that as quickly and inexpensively as possible? Mm. Wow, that sounds great. Um, so how many people do you have lined up to help you out with that right now? Right now, there are 10, um, including, you know, Steve Wiedemann, who's awesome. Um, Tracy Ingram helped me find a platform we could set up really quickly, and we managed oh, nice. to do that in, in a single weekend. Wow. Um, Jim Hedger, Christine Shashinger, Jenny Hollis. Um, there's people I'm forgetting, but I mean, I'm hoping we can grow this pretty quickly. Everyone is is pitching in to to figure out what can I what can I offer that is on an emergency basis just to help someone with the immediate needs they have right now. Mm -hmm. And if uh, more people wanted to get involved with that, are you like accepting more people or uh, how's that work? I am. um, I have set up an application process to make sure that whatever someone is proposing is going to be a good fit for the audience that we're trying to reach. Gotcha. Um, So if they go to getremoteready.com, right on the uh, contact page, there is some information about the application process. Okay. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a great resource for people to check out. Um, You said that is launched or launching soon? It just launched this morning. So it's live. People can go check it out. Awesome. Okay. All right. So um, yeah, if you're looking for something like that, uh, definitely check out that site. Um, Since we're talking about resources, um, I was wondering, do you have any other sort of resources um, or I don't know, maybe tools, you know, that sort of help you as a remote worker, um, you know, to stay productive. Cause I know obviously we talked a little bit about that already that it, it gets challenging, you know, when you've got a lot of people at home or, you know, just changing your, what you've been used to doing for so long. So uh, is there anything that right. maybe you could recommend? Um, it could be SEO tool, content tool, productivity tools. Is there anything in particular uh, that you found to work really well for you? I think the most important thing is your mindset and developing um, routines that work for you. And so you and I, Danny, used to work together at Search Engine Watch, and we were always a remote team. And I think you probably remember, I started doing this out of necessity. So I was a single mom with two young kids and trying to fit work in when I wasn't, um, you know, making meals and having to run people around. And, you know, there's, all of these challenges around around working at home. But early in my career, I found that late at night was the best time for me to work. That's when I was most productive. That's when I had quiet time. Mm-hmm. And so that worked. Now I like to get up early in the morning. Um, I like to have most of my, you know, things that have to get done out of, out of the way in the first three hours of my workday. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm here working in my home office or I do travel like four months of the year and wherever I am, I like to just get that out of the way first. Um, but it's going to be different for everyone. So you need to figure out what what routine works best for you. Yep. Um, make sure you're well rested. That's really important because everything else becomes harder if you're working until two in the morning and having to get up at six and not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um And then, like you said, having a toolkit that works for you. So I use Slack. Um, I'm working with teams in England, you know, San Diego, Boston, Virginia. And we're in touch all day, but we're really respectful of each other's time um, in that if it's something, I'm I'm not going to call them on the phone unless it's something critical. Mm -hmm. And if, if we schedule a meeting, it's because it's something that we couldn't do in email. So you know, always trying to be respectful of the fact that um, when someone's working from home, they need to sort of get in the zone, 
you know, give yourself, I like to do productivity sprints or work sprints where you know what you're going to get done over the next half hour mm-hmm. and don't check email in that time. Turn off your phone, turn off your Facebook. So you're not getting those constant notifications and, and try to structure your, your day that way. And then be respectful that other people now are trying to do that too. So, you know, constantly pinging them on a messaging platform is really interruptive. Um, so just take care with your communications that you're, you're communicating in a way that, that is helpful. Yep. Good tips there. Yeah. Um, very cool. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, so, you know, obviously one of the big things, obviously other than mental health would be stress and, I don't, I'm sure you've probably noticed this, that everyone's stress levels is pretty much, you know, off the charts or pretty close to that. So I don't know. Uh, do you have anything in terms of like managing the stress, um, you know, maybe tips or something that you've discovered works really well, um, whether it's, you know, your client stressed or you're personally stressed, um, that, that that's like a good way to relieve that stress. Yes, I think. And again, like the work sprints. So taking regular breaks um, when you're structuring your day in a way that, you know, you're going to take a 10 minute break every hour. That is super important. Um, I used to have a writing mentor who told me anytime you need to change personas or who you're writing as or change client accounts or whatever it is, walk out the door and do something else for five minutes and come back in. And it is sort of a physical mm. activity that triggers a mental shift, right? Mm-hmm. So you can if the last thing you want to do is be really frustrated with one situation and carry that frustration into the next test that you're trying to do, because you're just going to end up sabotaging yourself. Right. Um, So taking those breaks and sort of mentally resetting becomes really important. Um, When you're trying to multitask from home and you have all of this stuff going on around you, it's important that you can compartmentalize and sort of tune some things out. And then I think um, having video calls with the people you're working with whenever you can, is important, even if it's just a five minute daily check-in, because we can really sort of mistranslate things when they come through only in writing. So when people are working from home and you know there's all this external stress being caused by the whole COVID situation, like people don't know what's gonna happen to their spouse's job and their kids are not going to school and all of these things are happening, it's important that we still have face-to-face communication And that if there are difficult things you need to talk about or issues you want to get resolved, you have those verbal and visual cues too. So it's not just words on paper that could be maybe read a little more harshly than they're intended. So keep having video calls through this time. Yep. Yeah. Good advice there. I like that. Um, Yeah. I mean, obviously if you can't be there in person, it's the second best thing. Um, So yeah, definitely make use of that. Um, Cool. All right. Let's think. What else here? Um, how about, all right, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are going to be managing a virtual workforce for the first time. So do you have any uh, things that maybe people who are now find themselves in this situation should avoid doing? And I'm thinking like, you know, I, I haven't heard of this as an actual case, but I, I wonder if there are companies where it'll be like, well, you have to have your camera on all day or, you know, or, have you ever heard of anything oh, yeah. where they're like micromanaging <laughs> you? Um, yeah, is this- Upwork. Oh, yeah. Upwork does yeah. this. Yeah, that's sort of the, well, that's sort of the style when there is the micromanaging of outsourcing where it'll take a screen cap of someone's, uh, whatever is happening on their computer at various intervals. Oh. I mean, it's just, it's spying, right? And 
I mean, if you want to work together with people and collaborate and be productive and encourage an open remote environment, that kind of stuff is sort of like a hostile act. I don't think anyone should be spying on people or, you know, making people accountable for every end of their time. Mm -hmm. That's not helpful. No. Yeah. And there's no trust there, which is terrible because you're basically saying to your employees, I don't trust you. That's exactly it. And you have to realize that if people are working from home in a situation like this, where it's not an aspiration, they haven't trained for it for years, they're suddenly being thrust into this and they might be self-isolating in an environment where there's five other people present. So right. it might mm-hmm. not be possible and it might be embarrassing for them if they had to have that camera on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that we see people, especially those managing teams, shift to a more output-based um, mindset. If the work's getting done, do you really care how it's getting done? I mean, you want you want to make sure that data is secure. Mm-hmm. Um, encourage people to be using a VPN, especially if they're working out of, you know, they're not on their home Wi-Fi, maybe they're on public Wi-Fi. So you want to have those instructions in place to help them work effectively and be productive, but we don't want to micromanage at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then one other thing we all have to worry about is uh, panicking clients. Um, and obviously... Oh, oh, this is huge. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, obviously this is... Coronavirus is going to and will continue to... You know, it has obviously already, but it's going to continue impacting a lot of industries and businesses. And as we know from just being in the industry for so long, that the first thing to go is usually the marketing budget. So... Uh, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about why this is such a terrible idea and is there anything we can do from our side to sort of, you know, talk our clients off the ledge and go, hey, wait, stop, think, you know, this isn't, you know, end of the world. It's bad, but, you know, you're, you still want to be, you know, competing and, you know, having your presence out there, uh, you know, when this is all over. Yes. And that is, that's the big, that's the big picture is that this is going to end. It might not go back to the way things were. That's probably not going to happen, actually. Um, But there will be, if this is part of what the new normal looks like, then what does that mean for someone's business over the next three to six months? What does that mean a year from now? And you don't want to put yourself or let your clients get into a position, if you can help it, where they're starting all over. Um, So, you know, these people have worked hard to put together campaigns and workflows and and marketing stacks that work. And why sabotage that by completely slashing and burning your marketing department right now? It doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I even heard from one SEO consultant, because this has been a hot topic in, in groups that I belong to, that um, a client just completely liquidated their business because they don't think they'd be able to weather this storm. And you know, if there were an analysis behind that, that's a decision that some people are going to have to make, but as an emotional knee jerk reaction, that's really damaging. Mm-hmm. You know, there are employees involved there and assets to be lost. And I think everyone needs to take a really deep breath. And this is sort of the idea behind get remote ready is, you know, what kind of advice and support do you need right now? Mm-hmm. What kind of analysis needs to be done? Um, can, can you figure out a, a workflow that's going to work for you in this new environment? And that's going to take time to figure out. And during that time, people need to maintain at least their base marketing budget. And I think that 7 or 8% of your gross annual revenue is the recommendation from the Small Business Administration. Um, that's just 
your marketing and advertising on a normal day. If you wanted to grow, you might be spending more like 10 or 12%. So if you need to cut back to just the basics right now, while you invest in figuring out what things are going to look like down the road, that's totally fine. But don't sabotage your business by completely cutting everything out. Absolutely. Great advice. And I hope people will listen to that and, you know, really think about, you know, the decisions that they're making right now, because you don't want to make an emotional decision. You know, you need to really, you know, look at your data, do, do the stuff that you preach, you know, <laughs> just like, you mm-hmm. know, really. Absolutely. Sure, yeah. And, you know, make sure you come up with a plan. Um, like you say, so yeah. That, that, that. Well, and this is actually, this is actually an opportunistic time if people can take advantage of it. Yes. Um, if you have employees who can't be doing their physical job right now, this is a great time to do some video interviews and use this to inform your content marketing over the next six months once, once you're recovered. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, you could be doing an SEO audit right now and all of those little things that have kind of gone to the wayside over the last two years while you've been really busy, maybe this is the time they can get fixed. Mm, um, yep. so there are, this is the time to like step back and really look strategically at what, the, what is this going to look like in the future and what opportunities can we take advantage of right now? Yep. Essentially. Yeah. It's like you were saying earlier, everyone needs to take a step out of the room and then come back in, you know, with new expectations yeah. <laughs> because you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a new, new thing right now. So. Cool. Okay. Um, I think we're good on Corona, so I'll switch gears a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about what you do. Um, so I was curious about your uh, sort of SEO and marketing origin story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did before you got into SEO and sort of what led you into the SEO <laughs> world? Okay. Well, I did the typical early 20s thing of not knowing what I wanted to be when I grow up, and sometimes I think I still don't. But I did eventually. Um, I was taking a completely unrelated course and I got to take an HTML elective and there wasn't much work in the course I had taken um, in that industry. So I started doing some writing online um, for internet marketers. And these are like, you know, the early old school affiliate marketers and the guy with the $1,500 real estate system, you know, that kind of thing. So I was, um, when I, when I couldn't get writing jobs, because it's really hard to get writing jobs when you have no portfolio. So when I was just getting started, like in 2005, I did a lot of transcription too. So these internet marketing guys would pay me to transcribe their uh, mastermind calls. And I was basically getting a free education in the first year, right? Mm-hmm. And then they were asking me, can you turn this into an ebook? And that's how I started to build more of a portfolio that was relevant to writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Out of the blue, I got a call from a friend who said she had a client who needed someone to represent them at an SEO conference. So that was my my foray into becoming basically a booth babe. Oh. Um, mm. And I did that. I did, and that's how I met you in New York at SES. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's um, that was how I got sort of interested in the industry. And then once I was started to get involved, I just completely fell in love with SEO. Mm-hmm. It's like solving new problems every day. And I, I've been in it ever since. Mm-hmm. And I should, I should be clear about how we met. I didn't meet her at a booth, I swear. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually met at, I think it was like the, the networking party on the first night of SES New York, whatever year that was ages ago. Um, 
And yeah, I remember that that is like such a memorable memorable trip for me personally because that was my first SES ever. And it was like, you know, everything was brand new and shiny and crazy. And Panda had just come out too. Um and everyone yeah. everyone was so freaked out, you know. And obviously <laughs> we had kind of a memorable um experience. I don't want to name the guy, but there was a guy there. I'm sure you remember him. <laughs> Uh, Absolutely, who, who and you us, and Tracy Ingram and, and I. Tracy Ingram, <laughs> yep. We were all at this bar, and in comes this guy who earlier in the day I had seen basically walk up to Bruce Clay, fall to his knees, and like you know, religious style, like I need your help. <laughs> yes, and he really did need help. We yes. we did an analysis of the guy's website. We sort of did a mobile site clinic right there in the bar. At the bar, yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Yes, he needed he needed some serious help, and yep. and that's when you and I became friends because yep. you were like, "Hey, you kind of know stuff about yep. websites." Yep. Yeah, I was kind of blown away. I was like, "Cause I, you know, I, I I just met you, and you're just like, boom, 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 boom." It's like you know, you were like dissecting a site better than some other you know people who I knew at the time, and I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> you know, she really knows <laughs> her stuff." Um, but yeah, yes, and that led to my writing with Search Engine exactly. Watch, which was an yep. awesome. Awesome time for both of us. Absolutely. And I think at the time, if I remember correctly, you were doing like content writing for one of those uh, article sites that got hit or. Yes. Yes. What, which one was that? Easy or one of those? Wheat 101. Oh, right. Was that the one? And I remember, this is why I remember the story because I think you told me that they published some crazy thing about, was it setting yourself on fire or something? It was some like super outrageous thing. I forget what it was, but I I still remember that. (laughs) Well, that was the, those were the days when it was the wild west when it came to um, online advice. So anyone who could manage to string a few sentences together and hit the button Mm -hmm. could publish. And it, it was really great in a lot of ways for, for people who know what they're talking about and needed exposure but you also had people who had no clue mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they are authorities. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. thankfully we saw Google updates and, and that come out in the years since that wiped that out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that needed, that needed to happen. Yes. Yeah. Google gets a lot of crap, but it was well earned by some of the stuff they were publishing way back when. Um <laughs> Yeah. It's so true. yeah. So obviously, yeah. So you mentioned uh, you wrote for Search Engine Watch there for a while, which was an awesome time. Um, you know, it was like the dream team there for I don't know, I think a year, year and a half with you, me, and Jonathan Allen. Um, mm-hmm. Just like going for it, you know. It was like we really believed in having this sort of alternate attitude, and you know, just really giving our readers what they were really craving. And I think you did a really good job at that. So um, yeah. What did you personally enjoy about that role and that time other than obviously working with me because that was awesome. We know, but <laughs> <laughs> I think the mentality that I learned there about um, journalism, which has extended into all kinds of business journalism that I do now is you don't have to be first. You should try to be the best. Yes. So mm-hmm. And there's, there's so much competition. It is so noisy right now to be the first person to jump on something. And I think businesses are learning, thankfully, that it's not always the best thing to be first out of the gate. Right. Um, that's a good way to voice an opinion that's maybe disproven very quickly. Um, you can get put out misinformation and it's hard to walk it back. 
So I think that's one really valuable thing that, that I learned with Search Engine Watch and I've just kept with is it's better to be for the quality to be there in your content. You don't have to be the fastest or the first. Yep. Do you think from, you know, from where, where you were at that point in time to where you are now, like, do you feel like businesses have gotten you know more open to listening to their writers who actually know this stuff? And, you know, you know, like you're saying, you know, that you're oh, trying totally. to not be first, but be best. And are people buying into that finally, do you think more, or is there still a bit of a challenge with that? Um, I think there's there's always going to be a challenge with people who want to get rich quick and and all of that, um, or they don't see that there's a long term value. But I think once people really get strategic in their SEO and their content, and they see the business benefits from that, mm-hmm. not only in reputation but in building revenue, building sustainable revenue. Yeah. Um, I think once once we can show people that, then they they're bought in. You know, but content strategist wasn't even a job; it wasn't even a thing. Mm. back in 2010 right mm-hmm. and it's evolved as this whole people have really realized that content is the basis of all of your marketing so you can't put in an email with nothing in it right right um so content strategy is definitely grown and i think is a respected practice now mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm, I'm glad we're seeing more of a shift from you know, quantity to quality. I'd like to see a little bit more of that, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, because that is the way to go. Um, and, you know, I, I always see these these posts where this is the exact word count you need to rank number one on Google, and I just roll my eyes every time I see it. Um, do, <laughs> do, do, do you get a lot of that, like, from clients who are like, well, I read this story that, you know, you need X number of words and, you know, a picture and blah, 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 and you'll rank number one. <laughs> do you still get a lot of that? Um. I don't because I don't really work with clients that I have to convince they need me. So I have people come to me because they already understand the importance of really great content. And so before they, before they even hit my inbox, they're already kind of an advocate for that, that strategy. Oh, perfect. Cool. Well, I guess that makes it easier for you then to decide which clients that you want to work with. Um, you know, because I'm guessing if they're they're not bought into what you do, that you just sort of like, nah, no thanks. I got enough, uh, you know, good clients over here. Is that the case? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I think maybe, I'm not saying they're like bad clients or bad people, but no, there sure. are bigger yeah. agencies, I think, that have more resources for training and managing their clients. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, in 2015, 2016, I had six or eight writers working with me and I scaled up and I really didn't enjoy it. So Mm -hmm. I, I like to sort of, I mean, some of my clients have been with me five or 10 years. So it is, I think it's good to be a bit choosy Mm -hmm. and to make sure that your, you know, your values align, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah, that totally makes sense. You want to have a good, for lack of a better, you know, culture fit, even though it's not technically culture. But yeah, um, that that's important to yeah to be aligned with your client for sure. Um, yeah. I think so because we're we're working as an extension of their team. So yep. that's you know you need to believe in what you're doing, and they need to believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So one of the issues, obviously, with content, and I think this is still a bit of an issue, um, is obviously the ROI. Um, question. Everyone's like, well, how do you put an ROI in content? So I guess since you're, you do a lot of this, um, how do you sort of define success? 
for your clients and I guess also for yourself in terms of, you know, for for other content marketers um, who are trying to mm-hmm. like basically just say, hey, this is why you need content, really good content, not just content, you need really good stuff. Right. Well, the first thing I try to um, get across is that we need to throw out vanity metrics. So mm-hmm. I don't care how many Twitter followers you get. Um, it's not going to matter. Um, how many people read this blog post? Um, you know, some people have to read it, obviously. But the thing is, we want the right people to read it. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that there's a trackable call to action in there so that we know what happened when that person read it. And we want to make sure that the things that we're measuring and tracking are tied to real business goals. So, you know, what is the growth rate that we're trying to achieve? Is there a specific product that is going to be the focus of this campaign and how are we going to measure um, whether people are ordering it, whether it's over the phone or, um, you know, a direct e-commerce sale. So I think tracking and measurement and making sure that you have a strategy for measuring and measuring the right things um, and then being able to adapt your strategy as you go is key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you would be surprised how many times I have walked into situations where they can't tell me um, how many, you know, how many sales are currently coming from your website or, mm. you know, how effective is your email program? Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies just don't know. Mm. Um, they, they're kind of, what is it? Spray and pray. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. if we put enough out there, they're, they're going to come and well, we do have business, so that must be it. Right. Mm-hmm. No, you have to get more, more tactical in your tracking and understand what's working and what's not and be willing to throw away the things that aren't. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the old analogy of playing darts in the dark, you know, you don't yeah. want to do that. <laughs> um, and it's also, yeah. And my other favorite one is, you know, hope is not a strategy. That's, that's sort of what that's yes. that kind of sounds like, you know, you need a strategy. You can't just be like hoping if we just churn out all this content magically, you're going to get sales mm-hmm. or conversions or whatever it is you're trying to get. And, and then also being able to communicate it to your client in ways that they understand. So um, in 2018, I went into a situation where they, there was a marketing budget with a large percentage being spent on PPC. Mm-hmm. And when I went in and analyzed what was actually happening there, you know, they felt really good about their PPC budget because the contractor had showed them, this is driving clicks to your website. You know, this is working. Mm. And but when I actually looked at it, we they were paying in some cases two dollars a click to push someone to an eight dollar item. Mm. Makes no sense at all. Mm. So I'm going, okay, that's great that you're getting all these people there. But even if you have a ten percent conversion rate, which I highly doubt, mm-hmm. um, you're you're completely throwing away money spending this much to advertise things that are only worth eight dollars, right? So that actually helped me when I could show them in a way that they understood, like you're spending $80 to promote an $8 item. Right. One $8 sale is costing you $80. Mm. Then I could make the case for, okay, let's wind back this PPC budget and bring it down to a, you know, a level that's manageable and makes sense mm-hmm. and clean up those campaigns. And then let's take that extra money and put it into blogging. And, and so we have a budget to promote these more in-depth, um, blog posts that are appealing to people who are at a different stage of the funnel for your higher value services. And that made sense and mm-hmm. that worked, Yep. but it's all based on data, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Totally. Our sponsor for the podcast, Ahrefs, has an awesome set of tools that have become an industry standard for just about every SEO out there. For instance, if you're not getting any real significant search traffic, href has tools that can help you find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see the estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their keyword explorer tool, and that can help you create content that would drive more search traffic. Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. Cool. Okay, let's move on. Um, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite uh, either a content campaign or maybe an SEO campaign that you've worked on? Um, and if if you're allowed to talk about any of them, I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> you know, if you can't name a client, that's fine. But, you know, I, this is just one of my favorite questions to ask everybody, you know, sort of, you know, your favorite thing and why. My favorite thing, um, as far as like enjoying the work I was doing was Cork Expeditions and I was with them for five years and did a lot of their blogging and my name's on that. So I'm allowed to talk about that. Right. Um, just because the, it was travel. I mean, it was beautiful destinations and really awesome activities. And they had a, a network of a hundred, about a hundred infield staff. And these are the people who are actually on the cruise ships in the Arctic and Antarctica, mm-hmm. um, leading mm-hmm. these, you know, paddle boarding excursions and kayaking with penguins and really cool stuff. Um, and my job was to get all of their stories and all of that, you know, internal knowledge in out of them and then into a format that was digestible for their audience. And so that was, you know, that was definitely my most fun job. Mm-hmm. And that's the one you won the award for, correct? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah that's, and they that's were a great rewarding. team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, how about on the other end? Did you ever have one of those nightmare clients uh, where things, you know, despite all your best efforts, just didn't go right? And, you know, if if you could do it over again, is, do you think there's anything that you would change? Um, and again, you don't have um, to name clients uh, if you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... I don't think nightmares, I try really hard not to get into it. You know, if something doesn't feel like a good fit right at the start, mm-hmm. I am probably not going to take it on. I have gotten into things where I'm like, you know, three months in, this just isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually I'm working in a sort of a project or a campaign basis. There are a few clients that I, I've worked with for years and I'm just, you know, an extension of their team. But Usually, it's we're working on a specific project. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if it's not a good fit, I'll just tough it out. Yep. Um, if I'm on a call and it really doesn't sound like it's the right thing for me at all, I usually just refer to someone else because it might not be that they're a nightmare, but they're just not a good fit. I'm not the right fit for them, but I know someone mm-hmm. who is. Mm-hmm. And I think you should listen to that gut instinct, even if you know, even if it's a thin month and you're thinking, well, I could really use the money. If something's telling you not to take that contract, it probably could could turn into a nightmare. So, you know, resist the temptation and send them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. 
Money isn't everything. <laughs> Sometimes That's you're true, some... and you don't want to get in, stuck in something where you're like so busy doing something you hate that yeah. you're not open to something you would enjoy more. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes your sanity is uh, more valuable than a paycheck for sure. Um, totally. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about writing uh, since we've been, you know, continuing on the content. Uh, trail here. Um, obviously, a lot of people I know struggle with writing, and you know, I'm always getting questions. You know, how do I improve as a writer? Um, you know, obviously, you're great at it uh, since I've seen your work, and you know, it's been awesome. It's like you were editor's dream. <laughs> you know, it's like there would be very little to edit. <laughs> Um, so I don't know. Hey. I mean, yeah. So it's like, do you have maybe any writing tips you could share? You know, the you know, from the beginning, what sort of helped you evolve into the great writer that you are? Um, I think at first I really wanted to deliver fast for people. And mm -hmm. so especially where you're competing for writing jobs, you want to have an edge over people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've learned over the years that it's far easier for me to write if I do an outline first and then let it sit for a few days. And, you know, I've done my research and things are sort of percolating and I have time to think about it. So when I come back, I'm not just staring at a blank page. I actually have some ideas and I have some idea where to start. Mm -hmm. um, also, I don't think it's super important to start at the beginning. Sometimes I know there's five points I want to make. And so I'm going to build out that body section first and then I'll figure out what's a good intro to this and how do I want to wrap it up. Um, so I think giving yourself enough time and also a bit of freedom to not write in a linear way. Like it doesn't have to start with the introductory sentence and end with the perfect conclusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's funny that you say that. I was just thinking that's sort of how I write too. It's like, you know, everybody always goes, Oh, I want to write this article, but I'm stuck on the intro. I'm like, don't write the intro first. Mm -hmm. That's, that's rule number one. That's just like, just start yeah. <laughs> writing, get, you know, get some stuff there. The intro will actually kind of reveal itself to you if you, if, you know, if you actually have something that you're trying to say in the article. Um, so totally. yeah, it's like, yeah, you just get, don't get like stuck on, I need the perfect intro. Cause that's going to just totally derail you. So that's interesting that we both write. This well, and yeah, yeah. And when you're writing for clients, I think that outlining, uh, outlining and research process is really important too, because, I want to share that with them and say, here's what I'm thinking should be in here. You know, mm -hmm. is there anything that's missing? If I go ahead and write the entire article and I'm completely off base and what should have been in there, that's disappointing for everybody. Mm -hmm. You don't like to be told, you know, this, this is not at all what I want. Um, so I think when you're working in a situation where you're writing as someone else, it's important to have that nailed down first. Absolutely. Good advice there. Um, now, I guess I, I should ask this question because I get this one a lot where it's like, oh, I have writer's block. Um, do you ever have a case <laughs> like that where you're just like, I don't, I really just don't want to write today? Uh, and if mm -hmm. so, like, are you able to get past that? Or are, you, are there just days where it's all right to say, you know, I'm not going to write anything today? Or do you think that's like, because I sometimes feel like if I stop writing, I get... Not that I get bad at it, but it's like if you're not doing it every day, I guess it's kind of like exercise. Like it's harder to get back mm -hmm. to, get to where you were. Uh, I don't know. Do you feel sort of similar to that? I don't ever get an opportunity really where I could like not write for four or five days. Oh, okay. But for sure, if I'm not feeling it, I will set aside all the writing. And there's usually 10 other things that are on my to-do list. Mm -hmm. So I use Google Calendar. And I know what my hard deadlines are. 
but everything can be moved around. You know, mm. if I, mm -hmm. if I'm really not feeling it, I'll do bookkeeping or, you know, do some marketing, which most of us need to do more of. Oh. Um, we just don't eat our own dog food and our own websites and everything kind of fall to the wayside. Mm -hmm. um, so if you don't feel like writing, work on those things and just shuffle your writing assignments to the next day. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're still meeting your deadlines, um, I think it's, it does more harm than good to just force yourself to sit there being pissed off because your page is still empty. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've yeah. just found it's like, you, you know, if you have that blank page, just write something and, you know, eventually... You know, even if it's just crap, you know, just write something like, yeah. I, feel, I feel like an idiot. I can't write anything. And then suddenly you're writing all this stuff and then you go, <laughs> oh, wait, now I have an idea for what I can actually write about. So, yeah. Yeah. Write about something you already know that, you know, if you have something, if you're, you know, especially in all this COVID-19 stuff, if you're finding that your brain is wrapped up in that, write something about it. Mm -hmm. Get it out. Yep. Like if it's, if it's taking over and you can't concentrate on anything else, have a conversation about it with somebody so you can get through it yep. and get it out of your mind and get it out of your way. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good advice. Um, do you have a favorite article that you've written? Um, either, I don't know. I don't know if you actually have a blog on your page. I forgot to check before, but like, I don't know, for either <laughs> Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Watch, or just anywhere you've ever written under your own name. Do you have like a favorite uh, piece, piece of content that you've written? I like that one you asked me to write last year that was um, 10 ways to rank on Google right now, I think was the title, oh, yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was like, how, what, what different opportunities do you have right now to show up in different places in the SERPs? Because there's so many different types of SERPs now. Mm -hmm. um, and so evaluating, like, would it make sense for you to have FAQ content and try to show up in a in an instant answer. Mm -hmm. Can you achieve position zero for anything that matters to you? And so that one I really enjoyed doing, like just having a look at what different results are available and and how people can achieve them. Excellent. Okay. Um, now it's also one other uh, thing that you do is uh, ghostwriting. So you've been doing that for a long while um, and you've done mm -hmm. a ton of it, obviously. So. What has it been like for you um, being the voice behind, you know, CEOs and other prominent figures in the SEO industry and marketing and business? Um, and do you enjoy that? Um, is it weird that you're the voice of these people and they get all the credit? <laughs> like, well, I don't know. What do you how do you sort of approach all that? The, the ghostwriting? That's an interesting point. So, yes, they do get all the credit. And I know a lot of people struggle that like, well, this is my baby. But when I'm ghostwriting for people, I'm not really taking over and asserting my own opinions as theirs. It's more collaborative. And, you know, we'll, I work with people in different ways. So it might be that we have a phone call or it might be that they sent over some bullet points that they were thinking about that morning and they just want to see what I can do with it. Or mm -hmm. they, there's a news article that came out that's relevant to their industry and they have a position on it. And so it's more that sort of, um, I'm helping tell their story. So I don't feel that sort of ownership, like, well, someone's getting famous off my work or mm -hmm. whatever. And mm -hmm. the flip side of that is, yes, they get all the credit, but they also take all the flack. 
So that's a great thing for me because that's true. I don't like hanging out on Twitter, you know? Right. And so when they publish something, they get to deal with it for the next two hours while it blows up. And, and you know, that's their job. It's their opinion. And so I get to spend more time telling stories, which is what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the ghostwriting world is, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yep. So, so it's interesting. It sounds like you do, you sort of base your, um, like your technique based on the person that you're working with. Cause I know like some, some mm-hmm. ghost, ghost writers I know have one thing where it's like, we have to meet, you know, for a half hour and you're going to talk me through it. And then they just sort of write based on that. But um, yeah, so you're sort of adaptable um, to the person's, uh, I guess, preference. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And and even with one person, we might work together in a lot of different ways. So they might okay. sometimes write an outline where it's something that they've thought about. And it could be that they send me a voice note because, oh, my God, I just thought of something in the car on the way over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think wh- wh- however people are comfortable getting that information out of their brain and getting it to me, mm-hmm. and then I can work with it and massage it and do a bit of research and, you know, ask any questions. Is this how you were picturing we were going to you know represent this and it all comes together pretty quickly mm-hmm. excellent uh one other thing i wanted to ask you which is kind of a off topic but it's kind of interesting because I, I i saw this a while back on your facebook page and I, I i thought this was interesting if you're open to talking about it where like i don't know if you're still having to go through this but um basically where you have to pretend to be a man when you're like trying to make recommendations, <laughs> which just like sort of blew my mind that, you know, cause obviously I'm not a yeah. woman, so I don't know what you, you have to go through, but could you maybe talk a little bit about that? If you, if you're comfortable talking about it, just like, you know, what the heck's going on? It's like, if you send basically the idea is I'm guessing if you send the same email as Miranda versus, you know, random guy, like the, you'll mm-hmm. get a lot less pushback if you send it as the random guy. Is that correct? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I'm comfortable talking about it because I don't think it's news. You know, it shouldn't surprise anyone. I think um, it is widespread. And I think the thing you're referring to that I put on Facebook was um, a conversation in a group for women in SEO. Mm-hmm. And one woman had asked, is anyone else experiencing this? And it was like an onslaught mm-hmm. of stories where women have um, their boyfriends do the bookkeeping because the money comes in faster if it's a man sending mm-hmm. the reminders. Mm-hmm. Um, I did in that time in 2015, 16, when I had a bigger team, I had a guy work with me. And at first he kind of poo pooed that whole idea that I said, there are going to be clients that you're going to have to make the presentation because they're not going to buy into my recommendations. And it wasn't until he saw it actually happen in a call where I made recommendations and pushback, 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 and a lot of, you know, this isn't going to work and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then when he said, well, I think, well, what Miranda's trying to say is this. Oh, that's a great idea, Richard. Not even joking. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And that's how, that's how blatant it is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And, and I do write mostly as men. um, And I don't see them getting the same kind of pushback as we see women getting, especially on Twitter, which is why I don't spend a lot of time there. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, even, you know, sadly I hate to say it, but you know, back in search engine watch, you would get, you know, if it wasn't comments, there would be something on Twitter 
and you're still you still get it every once in a while for an SEJ article, and I'm just like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's well, like, and there's the other things that women get. I mean, mm-hmm. can we just stop with dick pics? Nobody wants one ever, mm-hmm. even if they know you. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, you know, I, I get on Facebook, I'll have 25 likes in a row where some random dude that I've never heard of has gone over the last year and a half of my profile. Mm. Does that happen to guys, no. you know, Mm-mm. or you get LinkedIn um, private messages that are dating or marriage offers. Right. Mm. So I, I actually don't mind sort of being more behind the scenes in in the industries that I'm working in, which are engineering, um, software, SEO, I really don't mind sort of taking a back seat and just doing the work that I like doing and not having to deal with all of that noise. Right. Mm, that's crazy. Oof, all right. Well, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just shocked that that's still going on. It's just amazing to me that people are, I don't know. I just don't know what's in, what's on the mind of certain people, but then, you know, I see who's, elected president and <laughs> I guess it becomes more. I know. Awkward. And I think that sort of emboldened <laughs> yeah. those people again. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of had made a lot of good strides. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it is not all men. So we'll oh, say that right no, off no, the no, front. No. We know it's not all men. Yep. And it, it's super important for the men who are not doing this and think it's wrong to call it out when they see it happening. Yep. Um, because a lot of times women don't even know when it's happening, when you're talking about things like pay disparity. Um, the manager obviously knows if the women are getting paid less. Mm-hmm. If they say nothing, um, you know, they're kind of part of that system that's allowing that to continue happening. So I think as women in SEO and tech, we are looking to the men who are in position to help us to step up and do that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there are a lot of very supportive guys in this industry. I, yeah, I hope we don't come off as saying all men are evil because it's, you know, it's never that black and white. Um, it's just a question. It's always, you know, you know what it seems like? It's like the loudest voices are always the biggest minority or not always, but Mm -hmm. sometimes that's the case. So yeah, unfortunately it's just one of those things that, uh, I don't know what the solution is to it other than just constantly calling it out. So I, I know I try yeah. to do that when I can, and I know lots of other people who are like that. So we will keep doing that. You just keep chipping away at it. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you can do. It's a slow process. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, let's move on to some other stuff now. Um, how about, is there anything in particular right now that's uh, that maybe you could share that's working well for you in the content world or SEO world in terms of, you know, really getting some good results for your clients, maybe a, a top tip or something of that sort? I think that organizations of any size need to be making time and space in their budget to do a content audit, at least on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And that is going over, um, you should be keeping an inventory of your content audits or as assets as you're publishing. But then going back over like, what is, what are our top performing pages or assets right now? And how can we more effectively point people from there where we're already getting, you know, eyes on our content to the places that make sense in the next part of their journey where they're going to convert and take a next step. And like we were talking about before, it's, it's not about volume. It really is about quality. And mm-hmm. so it's important to go back over the things that you've already done and make sure that they are optimized in, you know, as far as what your current state is so that you're maximizing the value 
of what you already put into each piece. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and how about, do you see any sort of common mistakes that people are making when it comes other than, you know, not doing content audit, but like in terms of a content strategy or just overall SEO strategy, um, that, you know, I don't know, maybe you see that a lot of people are making currently that they should, you know, rethink or change their focus. Yeah, I think just trying to do too much. Mm -hmm. Um, it really helps to look at your content on a campaign basis. So what are we talking about this month? What is our main content asset going to be? How are we going to support that with the smaller, you know, sometimes repurposed pieces of content that we're going to be doing? Um, and getting more strategic and thinking right from the start, like where are we going to promote this? What format makes the most sense for this message that we're trying to get across? Mm -hmm. um, and, and looking at it in that sort of campaign perspective so you can see the message as a whole and then each piece of content, how does that support that? I think is really important instead of trying to keep on, you know, well, what's the latest news and having, unless you're a news publication, you don't need to be responding to every single thing that happens in your industry as it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's good to, I mean, you have to keep in mind that major things do happen like we're seeing right now. And you want to be thoughtful of the messaging that you're putting out in a crisis time. So you need to adjust, but you still need to have that longer term campaign focus in your content strategy. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, how about uh, current resources that are that you use to remain up to date on all things digital marketing and SEO? Do you have any blogs or Twitter accounts or books or podcasts that you regularly check out that you think other people could get value out of? Obviously, Search Engine Journal is huge. Um, and I'm in a few industry groups where rather than like trying to check out 50 different publications, because there are a ton of really great publications mm -hmm. um, that I would like, I'd like to keep up with, but I just don't have time usually. Um, like Digital Nomad Girls is a group that I belong to. And I belong to one called Sisters and SEO. And I belong to some LinkedIn groups. And if I see that something's blowing up in those channels, that's probably something I need to know about. Mm -hmm. um, and also in, in my client industries, um, we have Slack channels where people share um, news, you know, that's relevant to everyone in the organization. Um, some of them have newsletters where one person inside the company is curating news. And so that's super helpful. Um, but I try, I try not to, sort of overdo it by reading every piece of news that comes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's impossible to do that anyway. <laughs> All right. It is. And you don't want to get in a filter bubble situation where you yeah. only listen to the same two or three people, but still I do trust the people that I'm working with to um, make good recommendations about what's going on. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Uh, let's do a few uh, fun little questions for you. Uh, if you weren't in search or marketing, what profession would you love to be doing instead? I would be a baker. And sometimes I still, I mean, my husband's a chef, so mm -hmm. I get the opportunity to flex my kitchen muscles pretty often. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I love baking. Nice. If you could go back in time, give your younger self some advice at any point in your life, <laughs> what would it be? Anything you would sort of do, oh my different, God. do different based on uh, what you know now? So many things. Um, I think I would tell teenage me who was precocious and bored with school and getting into trouble. Um, you don't have to take this same path as everyone 
prescribed, you know, you're, I wish I knew then that we weren't going to um, graduate high school, pick a career in college, you know, at 18 years old, you need to know what you're going to do. And we still tell kids this. And I think it's actually super damaging mm-hmm. um, that we pretend if they go to university and they study hard, there's going to be this great paying job for them. I mean, it's happening less and less and less. And I think we need to be teaching kids that there are these all kinds of alternatives. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be a digital nomad. You actually, people will pay you to be on Facebook all day and travel the world. It yeah. doesn't happen very often, but it, you know, if you could build a career as a Facebook marketer, you can actually do that. And so I think um, we need to open people up. And I mean, especially now in, that we're making this huge dramatic shift to so much remote work due to COVID-19 mm-hmm. um, people, people aren't prepared mentally for w- the workspace to look so different. And I think we need to do a better job of that for kids. Yep. Absolutely. All right. How about what's the best piece of SEO or professional advice that's been given to you and who gave it to you? Oh boy. Oh, I don't even know. Um, I think I'm trying to think of a single piece of advice from Larry Kim, but I don't think I have just one. It was more his overall approach and attitude Mm -hmm. to how he creates content. Um, when Larry and I first talked about me going to work with him, I was so excited because WordStream has this massive, um, amount of their own data that they create through their PPC grading tool. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's he's really skilled at putting together benchmarking reports and um data driven decisions or or advice that people want to know about like it's got him on fox news and some he's put out pieces of content that had like hundreds of thousands of links Mm -hmm. and just his his whole approach to standing out being different um again you don't have to be the first but when you put something out, make sure it's the best. Mm-hmm. I keep coming back to that. And and he totally embodied that. So I really enjoyed working with him. Yeah. So in short, it's be a unicorn and a sea of donkeys. <laughs> to yes. quote Larry Kim. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is pretty good advice. That is the best career advice. <laughs> yeah. It kind of is. You know, he gets a lot of flack. Uh, but, you know, he was kind of genius as a self-promoter. Uh, for sure, because, you know, he he took a pretty boring industry, which honestly, you know, SEO and PPC can get a little boring at times. And he tried to give it some personality. Mm-hmm. So big points for that. You know, yeah. it's, I, I can't remember you know, off the top of my head, like five people who have been able to really just stand out in some unique way like that. So mm-hmm. and, and SEO has been around for 20 plus years. So that's saying something. <laughs> uh, yes. And it wasn't just outrageous stuff. It was useful stuff. Like. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, here, here are the industry averages. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be average? And that, that was a whole shift in mindset too, yeah. that Larry sort of drove was you have to be exceptional. Mm-hmm. So, you know, average, if average is here, that's great. But now you're just stuck with all these other people. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, Yeah. you're not actually succeeding. Yep. Um, and that, whether that's SEO or PPC or whatever, you do need to be exceptional. Mm-hmm. Let's flip around this question and I'll ask you, what's the worst piece of SEO advice that you've ever heard or that you're still hearing and you just wish, oh my God, (laughs) will people stop sharing this dumb, dumb advice? Anytime something is dead. 
whether it's email or SEO or whatever, mm-hmm. anytime something is, is deemed dead, I, I want to junk punch somebody because it's just <laughs> like, can we stop with that? <laughs> the stuff is not dying. It's evolving. Right. The importance of different tactics is going to change and it's going to change industry-wide, but also in its relevance to you, depending on what you're doing in your business. So these like broad kind of sweeping statements that something just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. They're such garbage. Mm-hmm. And they upset me. Yep. <laughs> they upset a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, we kind of instituted a no blank is dead policy. Um, you know, because <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's been done. Yeah. So get something new. All right. Yeah. How about, uh, in your opinion, for people who may be new to the industry and listening, um, what's your best tip for someone who wants to eventually become successful and be a Miranda Miller? Uh, what's sort of the key to long term success in our industry? Um, <laughs> I wish I could say that I had a plan and I stuck to it every day and things worked because of my diligence in doing so, but that's not how it worked at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there's one thing that I've always tried to do that kind of underscores everything else, it is constantly learning. Mm-hmm. So making sure that, um, I'm working with people and working on projects that aren't boring to me because if it's boring and I already think I know everything, what's the point, right? Um, I want to work with people who are smarter than me. I want to be challenged. I want to take courses and make time in my calendar to do a bit of industry reading and belong to groups and go to conferences where, um, you know, I'm hearing about not only skills and, and, you know, how to use certain things, but also people's experiences. I think we can learn so much. So I think just making sure that I'm always participating mm-hmm. and listening is super important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there anything in particular right now that you're most excited about in either SEO or marketing or content writing? Is there anything in particular that you're like, oh, this is really cool? Um, that sort of jumps out to you? Um, I mean, we sort of already talked about remote work, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't even want to talk about that. I'm not sure. Anything that I'm really excited about, everything. That's <laughs> a hard question, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for the hard-hitting questions, you know. You stumped me. <laughs> All right, that's fair. You can just say writing my next search engine journal column. <laughs> Writing my next search engine journal column. Oh, what a great answer. And also maybe voice search. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, actually, we can talk about, I think um, voice search and also image search are really exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, obviously it's not going anywhere, but it's also a different way for brands to tell their stories. And that's, that's really, I mean, I've, sort of developed some design skills over the last year or 10 years just in blogging Mm -hmm. because it's so much more interesting to tell an audio story or to make a video and embed it in there with the text or to have images that demonstrate what it is that you're talking about. And so I think maybe what I'm talking about is like um, multi-format content marketing or I'm I'm not sure, like, oh, multimedia sort of storytelling. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think um, we used to things where content was more siloed, where it was like, well, we have our photographer doing stuff over here, and then we have a designer 
and they work on this channel. And now we're getting these people who have design and um, writing skills and even video who are able to tell stories in way more engaging ways because you're thinking of those different formats as you're creating the story. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like it. That's, that's a good answer. What do you think? Um, and I hope this doesn't date our podcast, but um, you know, in terms <laughs> of voice search, the, the, the recent change that where Google is deduplicating uh, the search results for the featured snippets. Do you, do you sort of see that impacting, uh, you know, how voice search uh, you know, in terms of the strategies, like, cause one of the things that, that I thought when I heard that was just, you know, do you actually want the first position anymore? Because I had this theory that you're going to get less clicks, but then do you want it there for voice search? So it's kind of one of those interesting conundrums. I don't know. What, do you have any th- early mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Well, I think, again, you have to look at the purpose. Mm-hmm. So, it's, I mean, if you can get there, great, but why? Mm-hmm. So what do you want people to do with that information? Does it make sense in the customer journey for your specific audience? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're just kind of regurgitating something that's already available in another format, is that serving you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think we have to be strategic in how voice is used and make sure that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, how about what's next for you, Miranda Miller? Do you have any new and exciting stuff on the horizon that you can share? Um, I'm doing a lot of um, consulting, which is kind of new in the last five years. Um, I hope that I continue doing more of that. I like helping people figure out what their content challenges are. And um, one of the most exciting things for me in that is that most organizations already have a lot of assets. And I'm talking about people and tools and knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, They already have what they need to create great content. They just don't know how. So publishing the publishing world and the publishing workflow is really foreign to some people still. And as more brands are becoming their own publications um, and, you know, content being done in-house, it's it's exciting to go in and show them like, well, you have this person who can do this. You already have the skills or this person just needs this tool. And we just need to set up a process where we're making sure that, you know, permissions and approvals are in place. And I think the best content comes not from outsourcing and relying on someone else to do that, but when they can do it in-house. You can be so much more responsive. Um, you know, you have easier access to the people who have the information you need. Um, so I think I'll be doing a lot more of that in future mm-hmm. is helping people build those processes that work internally and then master their content marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the goal, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Uh, so my final question uh, for you, where can people find you on social media or connect with you online? And is there anything in particular you'd like people to check out of yours? Um, people can connect with me at Miranda-Miller.com. You can email me uh, Miranda at Miranda-Miller.com um, on Instagram. If you are into the whole digital nomad scene and want to see where I am and what I'm up to, um, it's at Miranda L M Wright. Same on Twitter. 
And I would uh, just urge people to check out GetRemoteReady.com and see if there's some way that you could help uh, others as they're going through this transition due to COVID-19, where all of a sudden, everybody needs to be a remote worker. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, Miranda, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, yeah, this has been a great discussion and I wish you the best as we head forward in our uh, self-isolating era. (laughs) Thank you, Danny. You too. It's always a pleasure. Yes. All right. So that does it for uh, this edition of the Search Engine Journal Show. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Please tune in again next week for another great episode. If you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, do it. Do it now. Uh, you'll get lots more great interviews like this one every week from myself, as well as, as Search Engine Journal's Brent Satoris, uh, as we continue to alternate weeks. Uh, and you can also follow Search Engine Journal at SE Journal on Twitter, and you can easily find us on Facebook and LinkedIn if you would like to. Um, yeah, and if you want to follow me, I am at Mr. Danny Goodwin on Twitter. So long, and thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm not Brent Satoris. I'm not Danny Goodwin. And I'm not Lauren Baker. That's Greg Finn and Jess Budd, and I'm Christine Zernhaus. If you listen to the Search Engine Journal show, we think you'll love our critically acclaimed SEJ network podcast, Marketing O'Clock. Join us every week as we report the latest SEO, PPC, and social media marketing news. This is a show for real-life marketers who want to do great work. And because we're IRL marketers too, we know you're talking about attribution, schema, and CPCs all day long. So we keep it light with plenty of spicy hot takes, puns and rants. Plus, we talk about what's working hard and what's hardly working in our accounts and share what news stories have us saying WTH every week. So if you're ready to become a better marketer, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and listen to new episodes fresh for you each and every Friday morning. Only on the SEJ Network.